tonight, and that's okay. Um, because this will double as our YouTube upload and podcast upload. So, fantastic. So, I am going to start us off this evening uh, with... Uh, I don't have a ton of news articles, but um, some interesting uh, ones just the same. Um, but I am going to start us off with this, because I saw this the other day, and... I thought it was pretty cool. Let me go live on here. This is Quad Mover, who is, if you don't know who he is, um, he is a ace multi-rotor pilot, and he flies mostly uh, uh, visual line of sight. Does he and ever this fly was, not visual line of sight? I'm I not think he sure. does from time to time, but... Um, most of, I mean, he is able to do some extreme acrobatics and stuff like this, but this is an EDF quad that he built. You should define what is EDF. So it's an electric duct fan. fan. At first glance, oh, it looks like a, a well, like a Cinewhoop in a way, but the, yeah, it is different with those EDFs. And he can see that. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> oh. oh my word! See, and I assume oh. just kind of know how your controls affect it more than anything. You just intuitively know where it is. Wow! <laughs> very impressive. Has a very different sound to it. It does. Yeah, lower revs than a normal EDF. It's interesting. So he's I trying just... to push the envelope of the the most expensive Cinewhoop. Is that the objective here? <laughs> <clears throat> it is cool. Quiet. Yeah. Yeah, why you know, what's interesting is there's nothing you'd have to change. That I mean our uh, ESCs would support it, the flight controllers. This we could do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So is there any advantage of that over using what we normally run? To be honest, I don't honestly know. I mean, it seems like it's fairly lower, quick. Lower efficiency. See, it's quieter. Quiet. Yeah, quieter. Which is nice. Um, it feels like, and I might be wrong, but it feels like it doesn't accelerate quite as quickly. Right, a lot more mm. momentum in the in the ducted fan. Dang. So anyway, I just thought that was uh, pretty That's impressive. Seriously impressive flying. Yep. That's so cool. Mm. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Dang. So, 
just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, so let me oh let me throw a link up to that just in case anybody wants to view it because I thought that was pretty spiffy. So um, I have I mean honestly I I I didn't think about doing EDFs but I thought uh, doing some kind of jet turbine would be pretty cool on a quad. Now horribly inefficient and and um, fuel and and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I just you know it would be it would be pretty cool but uh the edf is excellent and uh always an excellent pilot um this article comes from space and i thought this was uh pretty interesting so this is a space.com article on what are fpv drones why is space.com uh, doing an article on fpv drones <laughs> just because they look like ufos or what <laughs> i don't know but uh, it's well, pretty they interesting. Well, have a phantom in the first picture too. So I was gonna call this out. <laughs> so if you, I'm gonna do a quick scroll through the article. So phantom. Uh, don't know what that it is. Very Maybe Mavic a Mavic back there. Mavic. Phantom. And then we get a <laughs> tiny hawk. So, um, but yeah, pretty interesting that uh, in an article for FPV drones, uh, we're looking at DJI Mavics, DJI Minis, and a Tello. But uh, maybe there's some uh, kind of affiliate uh, going on there. But um, they do talk about the difference uh, of FPV drones, what it stands for. Um, but then they talk about uh, aerial photography. Um, and I, I do believe that uh, they're taking a stance that if you can... If it transmits video to your phone, then it's an FPV drone. Um, so um, basically stating if the difference with FPV is that they have an onboard camera that is placed on your drone and transmits a live stream from the aircraft straight to your FPV goggles, headsets, smartphone device, or other screen, which is true. Um, but uh, then they go into... Um, uh, surveying, aerial photography, security, or just having fun. And FPV drones can be used for those things, but traditionally aren't. Uh, traditionally, you're using a aerial photography drone or a drone with a specific uh, equipment set, um, like FLIR or um, LiDAR or you know things like that to do uh, things like surveying. But uh, so they might be a little confused on on what an FPV drone is, but, uh, you know, um, they're putting some information out there. Xjet, since NASA flew a drone on Mars, drones are now spacecraft. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. FPV is a craft where the primary method of piloting is via that camera. Simply having a camera that Wi-Fi to your phone doesn't make it. I agree with you. I would, I would absolutely agree with you on that. Um, so just thought that was interesting that FPV now is everything DJI. Um, let's see. So this is a two-part article. Um, this first part comes from Newsweek, um, and it talks about banning drones from China has hurt the U.S. ability to fight forest fires. And we've talked about this before, um, where the Department of the Interior were using uh, DJI drones uh utilizing a specific DJI firmware um, called, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, government edition, essentially. Um, 
that was um, kind of basically protected from sending any kind of information out. It was developed uh, by DJI in partnership with the Department of the Interior. Um, and the reason why this impacts um, the ability to fight forest fires is that uh, specifically the drones that they were using um, are used to do controlled burns. Um, and they are essentially using uh, little fire pellets that the drone drops and it starts little fires um, so that they can then, you know, burn anything dead or, or, or whatnot and create fire breaks um, that would help keep wildfires from spreading too far. Um, but since then, um, nothing has uh, come out for the Department of the Interior to um, essentially do the same thing. So uh, it's been impacted over the last basically two years because this started in 2019. Um, and they're basically saying the Department of the Interior has said that lack of easy access to DJI government edition drones has hurt its ability to perform its vital mission and has left uh, far more American land vulnerable to wildfire and has increased the life and death risk to frontline wildland firefighters and other personnel. Um, DJI government edition drones remain tested, proven, and ready to safely sec and securely continue their important work. Um, the Department of the Interior has both privately and publicly expressed concerns associated with losing access to the vast wealth of Chinese drones, especially those of engaging in a practice known as aerial ignition in which fires are deliberately set to stem the advance of wildfires. Um, so uh, pretty interesting. Uh, there's a video here uh, of them setting uh, using those pellets. And you can see the little um, basically hopper uh, beneath the drone. And it's using that to, to drop the pellets and, and burn, you know, dead areas of grass to create fire breaks. Just thinking so, what kind of uh, hoops you'd have to jump through to get authorization to do something like that. Yeah, I was well, just it is the say, Department of the Interior. As the grumpy old guy, that, that what what's going on for it? Well, any of us recreational, that is very much against regs, mm -hmm. but it's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, now, second part of that is now the FCC commissioner has essentially. Yeah, extra didn't uh, didn't. Um... Uh, Zoe start a nice wildfire by crashing her drone at some point. Oh no! Is it, did that happen? I think that was a couple of years ago at at a race or something that she started a small fire with a. Oh no! Crash. Bad. But yeah, that's so, uh, a really unfortunate side effect of uh, banning DJI drones. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's one thing to bring out something new. Uh, or a replacement before you know stopping use of the previous versions, but to stop it and not have anything to replace it just seems kind of backwards. Um, but again, as we've seen, you know, it, especially in the case of EOS, it seems to be sometimes par for the course. You know, another example would be, you know, when we were banned from flying in controlled airspace until right. Lance, you know, cycled out, and so we went. I mean, it wasn't long. It was what two three months. Um, that we couldn't fly in controlled airspace. It wasn't very long, but at the same time, you know, let, let's bring out the, the system before, you know, initiating something else. Yeah, and you so, think by now having a couple of years of sort of DJI bans uh, that a U.S.-based company would have been able to pick up the slack, but it doesn't seem like that's the case yet. 
Yeah. DJI was just so, that many years ahead of everybody else. <laughs> so this is uh DJI uh is uh basically being considered of uh I don't even know how to pronounce it, Hawaii on wings. Um, Huawei. 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 Mm-hmm. There we go. Perfect. Um so Let's see. At an event focused on strengthening the uh, strengthening America's national security, FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr called for commencing the process of adding DJI, Shenzhen-based drone company that accounts for more than 50% of the U.S. Uh, drone market, to the FCC's covered list. Adding DJI to the covered list would prohibit federal U, uh, USF dollars from being used to purchase its equipment. FCC is also also has a proceeding underway examining whether to continue approving equipment from entities on the covered list for use in the U.S., regardless of whether federal dollars are involved. Huawei and four others are already on the covered list based on a determination that they pose an unacceptable security risk. Um, so Adam, DJ- I'm, I'm looking at the, the Reuters version of this article. Prior to the we do not need an airborne version of Huawei, do they go into the how DJI drones are collecting surveillance technology and body temperature and heart rate? So, Let's see. Yes, it does. It says DJI uh, drones and the surveillance technology on board these systems are collecting vast amounts of sensitive data, everything from high-resolution images of critical infrastructure to facial recognition technology and remote sensors that can measure an individual's body temperature and heart rate. You know, I, remember reason- when the, I remember when the FCC used to be sensible and conservative. This, this really is so unfortunate. And it's, uh, <laughs> But also, and we should remember, the FCC is also auctioning off Spectrum, which was designated to UAS. So uh, the FCC is uh, not friendly to uh, to drones these days. Yeah. So you know, and other people, you know, XJet and and Volatronics are, are bringing up good points. Is you know, most of the uh, technology that we utilize on a day to day basis, and, and whether that's in government buildings or in your own home have components or are entirely made in China. So, you know, to, to single something out like this, you know, with, you know, especially when DJI has gone through the work of creating like the government edition, you know, firmware that, that is locked down and, and can't transmit anything. Like let's, let's take a step back here and really understand what's going on. And, you know, it's not like I'm 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 you know cheering for DJI, but at the same time, it's technology that is used for good, and um, I don't think we should be you know singling any of it out that that isn't you know a, a true concern. Yeah, it so, always confuses me that they're singling out such <clears throat> specific things like DJI drones when, at the same time, they're talking about these things over software that is primarily built in China as well. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're big you know, users of Zoom and things like that, which are also written by a Chinese. So it's crazy. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Maybe they know something we don't, but you know, I just you know, until you're you're putting the evidence in into the public's hands so that they can see, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So uh, it just seems like we're you know doing everything we can to to punish. You know any any company that uh, does business in or with China. So, um, and I'm not you know, 
again, politics, I'm not going to get into that portion of it, but um, it's just kind of crazy to me. So um, anyway, what I hate most about government reaction to drones and the regulation is the utter, utter dishonesty. I mean, I would agree to, to a certain extent it, you know, transparency goes a long way and I, you know, kind of goes back to the point. Let's see some evidence of it. So <laughs> we're, we're trying to suggest to the FAA, but they are, they are, it's very difficult for them to be transparent at all in anything. <clears throat> Let's see. Speaking of what's the latest FAA and drone things, I can never tell if I'm legal or not. The FAA had these community things back in September. So how, how do you mean uh, you don't know if you're legal or not? Um, because most, I mean, the regulations haven't changed. Uh, remote ID is not in effect and for um, actual operators until September 2023. Um, but uh, uh, beyond that, everything is the same as it was uh, back uh, in 2018. Um with some, you know, minor things like you have to have, you know, you can't have your registration obscured by a battery or inside a compartment where it can't be seen. But, you know, um, for the most part, everything's still the same until remote ID hits, hits, uh, Is hits the water. Voltronics talking about uh, things in September. Are they talking about the droning on after dark or the drone and safety awareness week events? Or the maybe? community based organizations. Um... Uh, AC? Yeah, or... that advisory circular for the community-based organizations mm -hmm. and stuff. So, um, yeah, we did uh, partner with the FAA on doing the droning on after dark. Um, the FAA thought that... it was a huge success. They were really happy with the amount of mm -hmm. viewers and interaction they got. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we've started talking about <clears throat> what we're going to do next year. Um, and, uh, while well, nothing's set in stone yet, um, we are, um, airing towards, uh, a couple different topics. So, um, hopefully those will get solidified soon and, and we can start moving on it. And the FAA, so, even though there is generally only the one person on there, there were other members of the FAA watching and taking notes mm -hmm. and supposedly what we firm what we've heard that they've learned a lot and they will use that information hopefully in making regulations Moving in the forward. future. Yeah. But we're going to have to keep, so, keep pushing on it, keep getting them to do more, keep teaching them more, uh, helping yep, them learn keep educating more. educating them. Yep. So, um, well, currently, I mean, unless you're in controlled airspace that restricts you from doing that, I think you can fly on your 10 acres. Now, uh, you know, once remote ID rolls out, uh, that would be a different, you know, you'd have to have, uh, at least a, a remote ID module for your drones. But, um, if you're in controlled airspace, you can use Lance, um, get permission and go. So, but, um, but he does, yeah, they, they, they do have a point just that there are so many crazy regulations. It is difficult to know. <laughs> can I take my toy out in my backyard and fly it legally mm -hmm. or not without doing a whole bunch of research? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things um, you can do is, I mean, utilize our resource as a, our website as a resource. Um, 
because we have a lot of uh, you know how to get started it, and do you, you want know, to pull up the our, on there. our website and just yeah. say okay for somebody who's new to the hobby if you go to our website here are the things you need to know about flying in the United States so um, first off um, we've got uh, all the different uh, um, resources here so we've got uh, the advisory circular this was our response to it. This is more in relation to uh, CBOs. Um, we've got uh, congressional outreach. We've got remote ID summary. So this gives you everything you could possibly need to know about remote ID. How about just include... the simple stuff? Like, yeah, just right at the very uh, beginning of our homepage. Like, what do I need to fly? So right here, you've got uh, what do I need to fly? And we've got a what is FPV? right here, which can help get you started. And then we've also got FAA recreational requirements. So this is the, the very simple stuff right here. So fly strictly for recreate. If you're flying for recreational, this is what you need. So you can fly strictly for recreational, fly under or within the programming. This is basically fly with the safety guidelines of a CBO and whether that's ours, uh, which are also posted on the website, or if that's AMA or somebody else, as long as you're flying under you know, and you don't have to be a member. You just, you know, you're flying by their rules. Um, you fly within visual line of sight. Um, or uh, if you're using FPV, you have a visual observer. Um, utilize Lance um, when flying in controlled airspace. And you can utilize Lance through uh, programs like um, Aloft or um UAV sidekick. Or I still Skyward. want to keep saying Kitty Hawk oh, every time. I, I do forget too. That every it's been renamed. Time. <laughs> I have to pause every time. <laughs> You're right. What it. is it again? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and before you fly, we'll point you to Aloft. Yes. Well, Aloft is generating all the all the data mm -hmm. for before yep. you fly anyway. Yep. So um, operate the man, uh, the aircraft in a manner that does not interfere with and gives way to other manned aircraft. Stay below 400 feet, or if you're flying in controlled airspace, stay below your authorization level that Lance has provided for you. So if you're in a grid that's only has a 200 foot um, AGL uh, ceiling, then you need to stay under that. Um, you need to take the trust. Um, it's the Recreational UAS Safety Trust. You can do that for free over at Pilot Institute, um, which is a great organization that uh, um, we're partnered with. And there's a link right to it right there. Um, and then if, you're, um, if your drone is between 250 grams and 55 pounds, you must register with the FAA and put your registration number on the outside of your aircraft. Um, if it's under 250 grams, no registration is necessary. Um, and uh, bonus for everybody, uh, remote ID will not be necessary. Um, however, At uh, you time. do need to follow all the other rules. <laughs> so, um, and then uh, we also have our safety guidelines right here. Um, and uh, these are just about everything that you need to know. They're very short and simple. Um, and we broke it down into registration requirements, flight preparation during flight, and then there's a glossary of terms down below. It's a short little little stint uh, of safety guidelines. You can print these out, throw them in your bag, and if everybody ever questions you, you can you know pull them out. I'm flying under FPVFC guidelines. You know, just make sure you're actually flying under FPVFC guidelines. 
<laughs> and so tangentially related to this, where it talks about needing a visual observer, we are, as the FPVFC, still constantly pushing the FAA in the direction of allowing FPV without mm -hmm. a spotter by whether that's shielded operations or making rules for local beyond visual line of sight. It's not here yet, but we're hopeful that we will get there eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely an important push for us. Um, one of the things you know we're trying to work on is the introduction of waivers for flying without an observer. Uh, and that came Alex... from that last droning on, right? When yeah. mm -hmm. when Absolutely. Jay Merkel was on. So yeah, and... we, yeah, we've been working uh, with the FAA, and we've just started working with them on the waiver process for. 107s at least first uh, to be able to fly FPV without a visual observer. Uh, it's just in the beginning of this process. It'll probably take a little bit, but mm -hmm. the process has been started. So, and the the more that <clears throat> one of the things that we uh, we learned from the droning on is um, starting from a waiver process and showing evidence that people can fly safely without spotters, which we all know is possible. Um, and doing that through a waiver process and, and showing the data behind it will, um, raise the likelihood of not requiring a visual observer for regulations going forward. And so that's the, the approach that we're taking. Um, and again, it's working within the system to, to enact change. Um, so that's really the, the tack that we feel works. Um, and we've done um even more so we've been pushing uh shielded operations uh with the example set by new zealand um that uh and and the faa has moved forward uh several months back if not almost a full year january uh, on i think it was funding research yeah on funding research into uh shielded operations by funding four universities for studies uh regarding it so um and even further um I believe uh, some of the, the the DACs that are currently going on are referencing that as well. So yeah, I'd agree um, with XJet that I mean, we fly every day without spotters, and we're proving that it's mm -hmm. very safe. But they apparently mm -hmm. need more rigorous scientific research to prove the <clears throat> Absolutely. obvious. Absolutely. And and you know one of the funny things is is we're 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 teaching the FAA new things every day. Um, we were in a meeting with them just the other day and we were talking about um the uh safety behind you know drone strikes and uh one of the things that i mentioned to one of the faa personnel is i've been hit by a drone that was going you know 50 miles an hour and fine i didn't you know get a cut i didn't get anything it was you know an accident and um you know, that person clearly the, thought you were a ghost or something like you had been killed uh, yeah, by your drone and like... somehow we're still here <laughs> so it's uh it's uh, pretty interesting that uh we're, we're able to you know bring some anecdotal evidence that uh you know can can shed some light on some of these uh nuanced topics that seem to you know spark uh such dismay sometimes but uh pretty pretty interesting but we are working towards a lot of that and um you know we we feel like we're we're making some progress and we're going to continue pushing that so um so skyward uh follows uh i think i posted this up a 
little back, but I'll drop it again. Uh, maybe I didn't. So, um, this, um, so Skyward follows uh, aloft in uh, updating Lance for night airspace access and refined grids. Um, Skyward is a Verizon company, um, and uh, Lance is uh, Lance with uh, the updates is now available on their platform. Do I've never to... used Skyward. Me either. Do you um, want to explain has... what the enhanced grids are? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the DACs that uh, Dave uh, served on um was the um oh uas facility map yeah, yes. yep yep and uh one of the originally there were in controlled airspace everything is broken into grids and um those grids each of them uh actually while i'm talking each of the grids is um, based on how distance and air traffic is broken into uh, a ceiling a flight ceiling for UAS. So it could be zero, it could be 50, it could be 100, all the way up to 400. Um, and in those grids, when you request access, most of the time, unless you're filing for a waiver, um, you will only get permission to fly up to that set ceiling. And the reason being is, you know, that's where the airports felt like it was um, UAS facility. Uh, felt like it was safe for uh flights to occur uh for uas so let's see yeah oh i think this is it so i'm gonna zoom into my little hometown just because there are so many airports uh in phoenix <laughs> oh that one's got a different um, shape than it used to have doesn't it or was it always uh, shaped like that no, Sky Harbor's always been a bow tie. Okay. Uh, so in here, you can see the grids. And so it may be kind of hard to see, but this one's a zero grid. Um, this one's a 100, 100. And so it continues. As you get further out on the bow ties, it works its way up to 200, 300. And then um, outside the grid would be 400. So... Um, when you're flying in these, uh, those would be your limits. So um, what the, the what happened with the UAS facility map DAC is originally these grids were um, broken up into, um, is it one degree? Um, yes, it was so, one degree by one, one degree. So um, one degree by one degree, which uh, was essentially what? One statute mile close to it? Yes, about a mile, um, yep. So um, these grids were broken into smaller chunks. Uh, they were effectively split into quarters. Um, right. So they halved it each way. So And so that allowed for greater resolution. So in a grid that you could potentially before only fly 200 feet, now you could, if you were on the edge of it on a certain uh, category, then you could fly 300 feet on that one. So it gave better resolution to... Um, anybody requesting access to to fly to a certain height and that comes into play if you're you know trying to do a job or you know and you need to get to a certain height to um see you know the entire property or if you just want to fly recreationally so um this enhanced grid is now active in aloft and obviously now skyward so 
Um, yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. Now you can see right here, I'm gonna zoom into this grid. So the controlled airspace technically ends right along here. And Dan, I think you've tested this out. So if I'm standing over mm -hmm. here in this grid, uh, will it authorize me for Lance? You don't, you don't need did, to use yeah. Lance. Perfect. So, uh, but if you're in this little corner, you need to use Lance. Right, right. Yeah, if you're outside of that shaded area, your app should mm -hmm. tell you you're fine. You don't need it. Exactly. And so I'm not, I'm not sure if anyone else has noticed this, but the at one airport near me, when they updated the grids, mm -hmm. they also up updated the size of the controlled airspace so it got a little bit bigger the radius is bigger so i don't i'm not sure if they also took some more <laughs> airspace because now i have to get approval for where i fly where I oh, no. before. so well, we did well we also recommended that was february 20 that uh, the dac recommended the, uh, that from uh, those um, findings and recommendations to the faa and uh, we, we also recommended that there be a group of stakeholders in addition to what was just uh, air traffic management. So mm -hmm. there was probably someone else who said, we should make this larger. Yeah. <laughs> it's annoying because now if I go fly it where I used to fly at school, I have to get authorization where I didn't have to before. Uh, well, and I mean. So, and so Volatronics asked an interesting question. He says, sorry for asking again, but. Will 2023 change the recreational flying requirements from what FPBFC has posted? And should I just get my Part 107 to fly recreationally with no worries? Uh, yes, and not necessarily. No. So um, in 2023, remote ID requirements go into effect. So, um, and those those requirements are posted on our website, um, and those would be under resources, the remote ID final rule summary. Um, now, um, and those same requirements are uh, will be for part 107 as well as recreational. Mm -hmm. So second to that, um, part 107 doesn't mean you're safe uh, for doing anything that you would do recreationally. In some circumstances, it, it grants you some additional capabilities, and in other, uh, other situations, it doesn't. So um, one of the things with Part 107 is if you're going to fly commercially, i.e. you're going to get paid for, the, for your flying, then absolutely you want a Part 107. Um, if you're flying, when you have a Part 107, you can choose what rules you're going to fly under. Um, so you can say, I'm just flying recreationally, so I'm going to fly under recreational rules. Um, but if you are doing business, then you must fly under Part 107. And the difference between those is basically broken up into uh, the intent of the flight. So if you are intending to fly for recreation, and that's what you're flying for, and then that's what you're doing. If you intend to fly to sell uh, your footage um, or your data, and that could be like surveying data um, or 3D mapping or anything like that, um, then you need to fly under Part 107 uh, rules. So, you know, I know there's a little bit of confusion, but the, FPV, uh, the FAA defines, you know, that the differences between them is the intent of the flight. Mm -hmm. So that means that if you're flying recreationally, and this is not a loophole, 
Um, I would just caution anybody on trying to use it as such. But if you are flying recreationally and that was the intent of your flight at the time, and then somebody asks you for basically asked to pay you for your footage, um, you are not violating any regulations. If al um, aliens so land during your flight and you've got video of them, you can probably sell it. Yeah. So, um, again, that's where the difference between intent behind the flight. Although we'd uh, probably say that <clears throat> it seems like Part 107 pilots are going to be the ones who get more privileges going forward. And mm -hmm. so it seems like it's a good idea to get it if you want to be able to fly places or in ways that you might not be allowed to recreationally mm -hmm. absolutely i would suggest getting your 107 just because it just gives you those more options instead of just limiting yourself to the one rule set and then another benefit of 107 is it also allows you to go 400 feet above and around a structure versus you have the hard limit of 400 feet recreational rules now with recreational, you do have some of those benefits like flying at night. You don't have to have the L the light on there for three statute miles, but that yeah, you don't have to do that. But it's a little easier to fly at night. Mm -hmm. But and then but then again with 107, you have the option to fly over people too. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those things where it's a nice to have to because then you're not limiting your options. Exactly. So. It's not so much a uh, you know you're safe because you have it. It's uh, you still have to follow the rules of each different rule set. It's just again, Alex made a good point. It it you know it broadens your options for you know any particular flight. So. And uh, stealth flight and, VR there in the chat. Well, it, you go ahead, Alex. I'm moving on to a different topic. I was gonna <laughs> add one more thing is now mm -hmm. that you don't have to pay to take the recurrent exam. Once you get it, all you have to do is just do the recurrent exam. Mm through fasafety.gov every two years at super short super simple you probably don't even really have to review for it um it doesn't take too long and you're all set every two years yeah so volatronics there then is asking so the 400 foot thingy on structures is no more for i don't know that it ever was it never was generational mm -hmm. flyers it's always been a part 107 thing but people get that confused all the time mm-hmm Right. And for recreational hard ceiling, maximum 400 feet and the UAS facility maps we were sharing are lower AGLs above ground level uh, around uh, airports. So I've, I've been told to fly those in lands. I've been told directly by an FAA employee, if you're on a balcony 410 feet mm -hmm. off the ground in your apartment and you fly your drone out your window, it's over 400 feet and you're against the current regulations, unless you're a part 107 pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was going to go back to Stealth Fighter VR was saying that there's a lot of negative hype over drones and uh, was going to say that we've had people and we've been part of meetings where we've definitely had the FAA told that, yes, they have an image problem and we're hoping mm -hmm. the FAA tries to do something to correct the negative image of drones. I, I don't know if they'll be able to, but the FAA is aware that uh, there's a lot of negative uh, press about drones these days. So Volatronic says, uh, I love it when a 55 pound drone plops down on my car. I still don't <laughs> get the 250 gram limit. I think it's more reasonable to 500 grams, but that's just little me. 
And this is something that we've uh, kind of talked about in some of our responses to the FAA. I think it was in the remote ID response yep. um, that where we talked about raising it to a kilogram. Um, but uh, um, I agree. Uh, the 250 gram limit is very arbitrary. Um, and it was, you know, adopted by, by one country. And I can't remember if it was us first or them first, but it just kind of spun around the world and, and that's kind of where it went. So, um, yeah, 250 gram limit is, is, you know, it, it is arbitrary and, you know, I will be the first to tell you that and it needs to be raised. Um, but that kind of raising needs, you know, that's when you start going into, you know, material, you know, material investigation and research and, and what these things are made of and, and, you know, the velocity and the mass gener, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot. And I think there are, you know, certain studies in place to look at those particulars, but I don't know what's going to come. So, um, it's, uh, from Angel Feathers. There you go. <laughs> uh, I like it. So um, moving on, um, Google Wing is, let me grab the whole URL here. Texas, yes, Texas. Um, so Google Wing plans to launch drone delivery in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, Wing, the drone delivery unit of Google Parrot, Company Alphabet aims to set up shop in the suburbs of Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, the company said Wednesday in what would be the first residential drone delivery service in a major metropolitan area in the United States. Now, Google Wing has been operating the same type of program out in Australia. Um, this will be the first uh, that they are bringing into the U.S. Um, so they are um, looking to focus on communities of Frisco and Little Elm and uh, get necessary approvals at the state, local, state, and federal levels to launch commercial service in those cities in the coming month. Um, they want a partnership with Walgreens from a store uh, that would be able to fulfill orders for a limited range of merchandise from customers in an area containing upward of 50,000 people. Um, it will be dispatched from a small shipping container configured as a drone base in the Walgreens parking lot. Um, I would That's suggest just moving it to the roof, but... You know, that's just me. <laughs> this is an interesting. Uh, uh, I had had a good or this is potentially a time to bring up uh, the DAC TG11. So we're working on uh, the review of a white paper where the FAA has said we have put forward uh, our view of what should be the foundation metric for safety, and uh, a number of us disagreed with what they put forward, and we're going to recommend a target safety level. And this brings into account the ability of drone like um, Google Wing that when it hits someone or something, it breaks apart because its fuselage is made of foam and it imparts way less energy than, say, a carbon fiber structure. So uh, we are, I applaud uh, Google Wing for engineering uh, their aircraft to be able to fly in uh, in neighborhoods. And so it, it's quiet and got a, a winch on it, but it is uh, very significant. And it was uh, Google, the Google Wing team that helped out and uh, provided a lot of the uh, the math and the uh, rationale uh, on this uh, DAC TG-11. And so I went in with a, a view that we should uh, 
go for kinetic energy. And uh, that's uh, too rudimentary. And they came, came up with uh, this view of target safety level, much more robust. And it accounts for things like the fuselage or the whole aircraft being able to break up, just like a, a crash helmet breaks and absorbs energy. That's the benefit to your head uh, when you're wearing a helmet and you crash. And so a similar uh, uh, physics uh, energy absorption. And so uh, this is a real positive. And this foundation of safety metrics will be utilized in pretty much every regulation going forward, uh, if accepted, because FAA has two mandates, right? Safety and security. For anything that's truly safety, they'll hopefully utilize this new idea. So pretty cool that the FAA asked the DAC to take a look at this. That'll be presented next Wednesday on the 27th, somewhere between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, I was going to bring that up again later, but we should remind everybody that a week from today is the next FAA Drone Advisory Committee meeting. And we encourage everybody to tune in. It'll be streamed live on Facebook, on YouTube, and is it also on Twitter or something as well? But uh, definitely check that out if you can. If not, tune in to the replay later and uh, let the FAA know we're out here and we're paying attention. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, I imagine, and I'm just reading back in the comments, um, isn't Texas redneck territory? Will there be unofficial skeet shoots every time a Google drone takes off? I, you know, I would imagine that Google's going to do a whole lot of community outreach before they implement this program. Um, and again, that's just me guessing. I don't know that for certain. But, you know, if I were an organization that's planning to launch something like this, absolutely, I would be doing community outreach. I would be talking to people. Um, I would be, you know, informing them of what it's going to look like, how it's going to operate, all those different things. So, um, you know, it would behoove them to uh, absolutely do that. And there will be somebody who shoots at one for sure. <laughs> yep. And then I guess to help with that, there is one person, I'm not sure, did you guys mention it, the last one about the guy who finally, I guess, is getting, finally, first person to get prosecuted for shooting down a drone by the sheriff? Yeah, department. he shot down a police drone, right? Yep. <laughs> one. I'm not Florida man. sure if that story was brought up in a previous community meeting or not, but. So there's. That was after be... our last community meeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Wasn't sure if that's the list. All right. So I believe this is my last one here. Um, but this will be interesting. This uh, this came out yesterday. No, today. Uh, this comes from The Guardian. Um, so the, if you haven't heard, there's a volcano in La Palma, Spain. Um, but uh, there is uh, there are four dogs who are stranded stranded um and rescuers cannot get to them uh because doing so they'd have to cross several uh essentially uh lava rivers to get there um so a company has come in and is going to attempt to rescue the dogs uh utilizing a drone um so uh Local Animal Association Legals.org uh, sounded the alarm after we became aware of the plight of dogs in early October and arranged for two drone firms to drop off food and water for the animals, which have lost weight since becoming trapped. 
Reaching the animals on foot is impossible, as this would require crossing scorching lava, and the helicopters cannot fly in the area because of the ash and hot gas from the volcano could damage their rotors. Um, it's the only way to do it. A crew from an industrial drone operator, Aero Cameras, arrived on the island on Monday after receiving the green light from local authorities to carry out the rescue operation. Um, under Spanish law, drones are not normally allowed to transport people or animals. The company's CEO, Jamie Pereira, um, said the plan was to send a 50-kilogram or 110-pound drone equipped with a wide net to trap the dogs one by one and fly them to safety. We don't have experience transporting a live animal by a drone, nor does anyone. Um, not legally. The success of the mission. Right. The success of the mission will depend largely on how the dogs respond to the drone. The dog could start reacting by running away, moving, jumping. There are those who say the dogs could fracture a bone, have a heart attack. Of course, there are all sorts of risks, but we either get them out or in a few days or weeks, they'll lo- they will no longer exist. So um, this is, uh, I, you know, I obviously await to see what this is going to turn out to be. I hope they uh, are able to, you know, rescue those those animals um so but did it, it will say be that a they, new use for a drone that they already have used them to drop off water and food for them mm-hmm. yep so um but uh this is uh it's gonna be pretty interesting um i hope this turns out well um i hope they are able to pull it off um but uh yeah it would be a great thing so um and with that i wrap up everything i have uh gentlemen anybody have anything else uh, just sure, at the back. Go, go ahead, Alex. Uh, I was going to add some multi-GP stuff. So today they release. So uh, the global championships are coming up in about two weeks here, first uh, November, first week of November, and we just released the tracks for pilot start practicing for champs. So the uh, first one's design track one's designed by NM Grower. And the second one is designed by Knee Down, both excellent track designers. Uh, this is actually the first time that tracks have been released ahead of time before the championship. Normally, they're released the day the track is up. Um, this was uh, changed this because of some other circumstances this year. Tracks are longer. Going to be instead of normal three lap, uh, it's going to be two laps. Um, Two consecutive laps for qualifying and so that's up uh, you don't have to be participating in champs to fly the tracks on the simulator so you can fly them on Velocidrone right now uh, empty scene day in and just called 2021 multi GP champs track one and track two so uh, go ahead and fly those tracks see what it's like uh, what the top pilots are going to be racing in the next couple of weeks, as well as some other big news for the more generic community, at least, is IO. We have the dates for that now, and that's going to be June 8th through 12th, 2022. So it may cut into some of the school days for uh, some students, but it's what AMA gave us. So we're going to be going June 8th and 12th, 8th through 12th. In Muncie, Indiana. Hey, Alex, will you be will you be uh, trying to uh, for to race and uh, compete at the uh, the champs? Uh, I will be racing in the sports class. 
Uh, very nice. So Excellent. I'll be getting sports class and hopefully do well. Well, best of luck to you. Is there is there any coverage or how do you know? So we'll be I'll be up in the North Country while you'll be down in Florida at Champs. How can I keep track? Uh, it will it should be live streamed on the Multi GP YouTube channel. Okay. So, uh, yes, it should be there on the Multi GP YouTube channel. Great. I don't think we have links up yet, but we'll get them by then. Excellent. Okay. Well, what are the dates of the uh, multi-GP, the champs? Uh, champs is going to be, for sports class, it's going to be November 2nd and 3rd, while pro class is going to be 4th through 6th, rain date of the 7th. All right. I've got a little uh, something to add. And the other thing we're working on, there'll be a brief presentation at the uh, DAC meeting next week on how to integrate aviation technology into existing curricula as well as uh, extracurricular uh, education for K through 12 in the United States. So uh, it's, this is a midpoint or a checkpoint with the uh, the team that's working on it. Uh, Alex and I are both uh, participating in TG12. I'm also on uh, TG11. And so this will be a, a brief presentation, and it's uh, going well. And I think this is a, a good thing uh, in terms of trying to get uh, FPV, notably, uh, integrated into uh, curricula across the country. So that that certainly could be a positive to help us uh, with the uh, with the image and the reputation of drones. And the objective, obviously, is to try to get the kids, girls, boys, young men, young women, uh, enthused with aviation and uh, uh, consider either taking on uh, the job of a, a pilot or uh, or a non-pilot. There's uh, lots of uh, uh, work to be had in both the UAS as well as uh, uh, manned aircraft. And the... Beyond Visual Line of Sight arc continues. Uh, not much uh, that we can say because we're not allowed to talk about it, but uh, we're, uh, the objective was to uh, wrap that up in November of this year. I, I mentioned this year because this is a, an FAA project. And it, is, uh, uh, it looks like that will uh, happen uh, on schedule. And I'm hopeful, it's not a given, but I'm hopeful that uh, once the uh, report is presented to the FAA that it is made public. But as I, in the past, some have, some have not. So uh, we'll be pushing for that. And uh, and we are uh, a member of the uh, BB LOS uh, ARC. So that's, uh, it's been a, a ton of time, uh, but it's uh, definitely a privilege to be on it. And uh, we're hopeful that it, uh, that the result will be what it looks like right now, because it uh, looks, looks positive. Excellent, excellent. All right, uh, Dan, you got anything else for us, sir? No, I think the couple things I wanted to mention, we already talked about primarily the DAC uh, coming up next week. And <laughs> let's see, what else? Um, I don't remember if we talked about it two weeks ago or not, or if that was like when we just heard, um, like how many comments there were to the last 
uh, advisory circular about CBOs mm. that the FAA said they received 60 comments on that, which I was really hoping would be a lot higher. Uh, but it just goes to show how difficult it is for us to get people to give feedback to the FAA when they ask for feedback. Well, also, you know, keep in mind that the, the that particular advisory circular was, you know, it wasn't necessarily, I would say, marketed towards, you know, the average everyday pilot, although anybody could comment. No, it wasn't um, it advertised was, that way, but it affects everybody. So it, it, it had does. a lot of hidden things in it if you look at it that way, which mm -hmm. are important to everybody who flies. And our response to it is up on our website. Yep. So if you want to see what we wrote in, you know, in, in response to that, um, I believe we put together uh, seven, was it seven or nine pages or something, something like that? Something like that, yeah. And I believe you also asked if there was any kind of timeline associated with this, and we haven't heard anything back related to that, I assume. No, no not yet, uh, but hopefully soon. Uh, I assume because, they've read uh, all 60 comments by now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the hope is is that we get the CBO thing kind of nailed out soon uh, because it's one thing uh, that we would like to accomplish. Um, and as there are no CBOs uh, currently, and the FAA, uh, based on the timeline from the uh, FAA Reauthorization Act, we are, you know, about a year and a half behind on that. So, uh, if not longer. Um, so... We, I think it is. So we'd like to see some movement on it. So, um, But uh, Alex, you got anything else for us? Not that I can think of. Dave? I'm good. All right. Well, with that, we'll give you the rest of your evening back. Thank you guys for joining us, and thank you for all the great comments. Uh, definitely love that feedback. And also keep in mind, you are welcome to talk. Uh, you don't just have to type. I think they're all, um, would, ever uh, since we started doing video, they've been kind of afraid to talk to us. I know. Do we need to go back to the the, the silent or or the invisible voices? I mean. Uh, <laughs> now but, now uh, you tell me, actually. Right. I'll talk. I'll talk. I just didn't want to interrupt you guys. No, you are always welcome to interrupt anytime. But um, this, is, this is a community meeting. This is not just talking heads. So we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Well, cool. It was, it was great to uh, meet you guys. I was inter introduced to your to your um, organization through the Pilot Institute video. Oh, so perfect. I, I actually had been uh, working on the 107 course, um, and and I ran across you guys. I've been thinking about getting back into FPV. I was in it years and years and years ago, back when it was kind of starting, mm -hmm. and I put it aside and got out of the hobby, but um, I might have time for it again. And the new digital, the little, the new little digital DJI Cinewoops. I just right. think, oh man, I want to run around through playground equipment and trees. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, exactly what I want to make do. a world yeah. of difference. Yeah. Well, HD, we look forward to. Yeah. I was just going to say that the, the HD definitely sparked a renewed interest when I got that and got me out flying a whole lot more, just flying around without the static. And yeah, so much fun. Mm-hmm. I just remember looking at the little, I had the original Fat Sharks and, and I used to fly on 1280. So I would make these big antennas, circular polarized antennas and have them sitting up, sticking up on top of a, of a homemade multi-wee quad. Remember those, the multi-wee yeah. controllers? Yeah. And, uh, and you'd fly around, no return to home, no auto level. <laughs> no. It was, it was great. But, uh, but yeah, it, I felt like I was watching a postage stamp 
out in the distance. You know, it's just way too small. The you know, yeah. the feed just. And even, I mean, even uh, newer goggles, I mean, the resolution on them have improved so much. And even if yeah. you're going with analog or digital, um, but digital, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's, it adds a whole new level. Um, so I'm, I still fly analog. Uh, I know Dave and Dan both fly digital and Alex is analog cause he likes to race. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, we look forward to having you well, back in the hobby and let us know if we can answer any questions for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was, it was, it was great listening. Perfect. Well, talking about digital a little bit, I think a lot of races are going to be getting shark bites soon because shark bite is allowed for uh, champs this year and will be for future races. We have it set up. I, I thought I heard during a, D, a uh, Bardwell live stream that Evan Turner was planning on flying uh, shark bite for champs. I haven't heard that. I wouldn't be surprised, but I well, actually, I don't know. I would be a little surprised. But, uh, <laughs> Alex, you could be just a rumor. The, the AMA. You mentioned the AMA. Are you a Are you a member of the AMA? Uh, yes. Do you go to different AMA related events, or are you in an AMA club as well? Uh, yeah, I'm in my local AMA club. Uh, fly there sometimes. Set up gates on the runway yeah and i am also i'm also an ama member and we put on the rhinebeck jamboree in new york of uh, uh what pre-1939 fixed wing uh quarter scale half scale very large uh models well it's good to see that there's some reception in the in the modeling community for fpv because i remember it was a bit of a black sheep and that's mm, even an interesting term depends where you are there was a black sheep person uh <laughs> um but yeah, yeah they, when I started, they're... we were the outliers, and we mm -hmm. were not welcome at clubs. I, I I remember when showing up with an electric plane, you got you got stared at funny. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and at the national level, at headquarters, we work on a daily basis with uh, uh, Chad Boudreau, Rich Hansen, uh, Tyler Dobbs, in the work that we're both doing with the FAA, and they're very much in, uh, pro uh, UAS, pro drone, and uh, very receptive. At the club level, it's regularly a very different story. And so, you know, the right way or the way we uh, we handle it locally is uh, we try to be receptive. And if uh, a young person comes on the field with anything that's remotely controlled, you know, we try to encourage them to stay in the hobby. And so if it's a drone or, you know, even a surface, uh, you know, if it's a car, we don't care. And yeah. but it but uh, yeah, I. I I work with or I'm part of another club that they don't really like anything that it's a rotorcraft if it's uh, it's fixed wing or nothing. Mm. And and well, that includes uh, wing FPV. They're they're not too happy about those either. My, lo <laughs> my local club's rule is if you pay the dues you can fly at the field. Doesn't matter Excellent. what you got. Mm. That's, that's a good attitude. Yep. yep. That's the way we do it in our in our local club. All right. Well, uh, I don't want to hold you guys too long. Uh, it's been great uh, hearing from you, Stealth. And uh, just, again, let us know if you have any questions or if, uh, you know, uh, anything, anything at all. Uh, we're here to help. So We'll be looking uh, for ways I can help you guys, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, definitely uh, give our uh, website a crawl and uh, see. You can, uh, you can contact us uh, by email if you have, uh, want anything specific yep. on how to help. Our emails are on our website. So, um, 
But with that, I'm going to sign off and uh, we'll see you all in two weeks and uh, have a great uh, weekend. It's getting cooler out there. Enjoy the weather. Hopefully it's not too cool. And, uh, you know, uh, have fun. Get some flies in. All right. Thanks for coming, everyone. Bye, guys.